I've had so many entrepreneurial moments. I'm really comfortable with that five-year rush. Now what happens in the next five years is new territory for me. And so I guess I need to still learn about that space. For any leader, the, the biggest thing I'd have to say is, how does someone drive sustainable leadership for 10 or 20 years at the same entity and do it um, with effectiveness? That to me is a holy grail question to be answered. I'm Shreen Batik, and this is Starting Out. To today's podcast, where I take the personal route with the movers and shakers in the marketing industry to find out their stories, how they became the leaders they are today, and what's their special power that makes their craft so remarkable. On today's episode, Michael Kahn, or MK as he likes to be known, is the newly appointed global brand president of Digitas. He joins us on his 130th day on the job. And for Michael, it's always been about ups and downs. And in his career, he's had his share of downs. I grew up as a kid in the 60s. My dad was a partner in a business-to-business agency in Chicago called Mandebach and Sims, and eventually they sold to Ketchum. He was my best friend, my role model, and I learned so much from him in his style. I saw my dad every day get literally into a trench coat, walk to the train, um, come home on Mondays with Ad Age, which was as thick as a telephone book, filled with advertising in every story known to mankind. It was the time period of the major networks. And the highlight of the programming as much as the shows was the advertising. It was the heyday of advertising. And you couldn't wait to see the next spot from 7-Up, from Coca-Cola, from Volkswagen, whoever it was along the way. And there was no more romantic place to be than an advertising at that moment in time. So some part of this was my dad was my idol, just watched him going back and forth and what he did with such grace. But he was also playing in a category that was just magical at that time period. He was one of those people that actually worked to live, not lived to work. I don't think I've ever achieved that in my life, but I did see what it looks like. And then um, uh, from my Chicago base, I went to university in the Midwest. I was a journalism major at University of Wisconsin at Madison. I'm a proud badger through and through and bleed red in more ways than one. And then I came back to Chicago and started a really long career in advertising. In the 80s, I worked as an account guy at J. Walter Thompson and Ketchum. I was working on huge accounts like Miller and Discover Card. And I felt there was something in the big agency world that felt a little soulless. Um, and that uh, it felt like um, I didn't see the brilliance of what they were doing across the whole organization. It felt more mechanical. And so because I, um, at that point in my kind of renegade years, uh, railed against authority and felt there was a better way, and I actually felt at that time that all the big agencies were going to go away, which I was totally wrong about. How old were you? Uh, I would have been probably in my late 20s, early 30s. It was actually, we were 30-something when 30-something was a show on TV about advertising guys. So we were 30-something at that time. We were living the dream. And so we decided, uh, I I met a guy named Marshall Ross, who's uh, head creative at Kramer Crasselt, one of the big independent agencies. And we formed this agency, Mitchell Ross and Con, and we set out to be a creatively driven best of breed shop in Chicago. We tried to start the Widen of Chicago, which is a really hard thing to do, but we gave it a shot. Um, And we were so passionate about the work. 
We hired the best people we possibly could. We got up to a staff of 10, nine were creative. I was the one single account guy carrying their bags everywhere. And we just passionately fought to have the work be the best it could in every iteration. And we won certain businesses along the way, Hyatt Hotels and Heller Financial and all these other things. And it was joyful. Um, We slept on couches. We stayed up all night. We worked weekends. Um, I've had probably four experiences in my life of pure play startup. And that is as um, breathtaking experiences you can have because you end up going all in on something in the purest way possible with, um, you know, no view to whether this is a good use of time or effort, whether it's going to be successful or not, because you're on a mission to get there and you don't look up. Give me an example of sort of that time and being so focused on just doing something great and not necessarily knowing. I mean, you were not coming in with the kind of experience you have today. You're not coming in with the weight of history behind you. You just know right. you're going to do something different. Right. Well, I think um, that that's, that's the beauty of it. It's a leap of faith. So you have to have a leap of faith to go do that, starting up anything new. Um, we did organize ourselves that when the moment came and we got an at-bat and a lead on something to go in and talk to somebody, that we're going to throw ourselves into that like like we possibly could. So we would get folks together. We'd go into our war room. And we, with myself and all the creative folks, would just do tissue work for hours into the weekend trying to land on this single big idea that can unify everything. And I think the thing I'd make a comment on, we had complete integrity of effort and we we literally focused on making sure that when we got to that point of presenting something to a client that it felt completely unique to Mitch Ross and Khan and something that we could stand up behind with full conviction. But you were... You were the only non-creative guy in yeah. Group of Ten. You had to worry about the money. You had to worry about the bills. What was that like? I also think that's one of the misnomers of the agency business. Um, the best creative people are part account person, and my partner was. The best account people are part creative people. And so I think, you know, in the world we're playing in, I think uh, all of us want to be and are looking for T-shaped people. That can be both horizontal in strategy and vertical in expertise. And I think we had assembled a group of people that could play all sides. So we could run the operation and we could also do passionately great work. Well, tell me about a time that things didn't go all rosy and amazing and work and all the creative. There must have been hard times. Well, so there was. And and we got to the point where all of a sudden we got bigger. And I was in my 30s. Um, I was married. I had a child. Um, we had, again, thrown ourselves into Mitchell Ross and Khan with full vigor and and had a, a couple of touch points along the way that it could have been just a tipping point for us taking off in a different direction. And a couple of those things didn't work out. All of a sudden, our accounts that we kind of owned and we had um, uh, kind of taken over a unique position with went into commonplace review and they went into RFP and we had to go defend them. And in some cases we lost them or we had a major customer at one point that got acquired by another company and went to another agency. So it's almost like after the crusade of starting the agency and all the startup momentum, some of the normal business cycles of the agency caught up with us. Was that hard? 
It was really hard. Was and that kind of an awakening for you? Because, you know, you were, like you said, you were sort of on this mission. You were, I'm on a mission to do this and suddenly kind of the reality of, of how the business actually works. Well, totally. And by the third year, we had a choice. And the choice was to continue with a diminished business and recalibrate or actually merge with another agency and take some of our team and clients with us. We had to make a decision to take something that was part of our personal identity and shut it down. We're going to merge into another giant agency. So even though we'd be senior leads in that, we'd still be wheels in a much bigger cog along the way. And so um, that was really tough personally. And I remember all the decisions we had to make to canceling our lease, selling our copier, you know, shutting down the archives of Mitchell Ross and Khan so it goes into a folder in your drawer and all of a sudden now be introduced and being leads in a new agency and losing, I guess, losing your identity is part of all that. So we merged with an agency called Kamathunesti and in essence sunset it. Did you have to make the very tough decision of telling people they may be losing their jobs? Um, we had a, a couple of cycles at the end of the run where we had to let people go. And that was really difficult. Was that the first time that you were you know, having that conversation with um, people? For me and my career, for sure. Because before that, I was all in the up and up and working in giant agencies. And I might have managed people, but I wasn't in the position for hiring and firing like we were there. Mm-hmm. What was that yeah. like? Tell me about uh, figuring that out for the first time. Um, it was really hard. And I can't say that I think I did it particularly well. I think, you know, the things I've learned about um, the people aspect of all this over time is um, one, um, when the moment comes that you're talking to someone about a situation and you may have to let them go, it shouldn't be a surprise. Either one, if it's performance-based, you've been communicating with them all on the way. And then separately, if it's business-based, You've been transparent enough about the state of the business that so they'd have some inkling as well. Not a huge surprise. It shouldn't be a huge surprise. And I think I've learned that more than anything that, you know, we're all human beings. It could happen to me on any day. And so you want to be as sensitive to the folks you work with as you want people to treat you. And I think the biggest thing is to be so transparent in your operations so that if that happens for someone, it won't be a surprise to them. At a point in career, you also experienced kind of that euphoria of the web boom and then the the awful web bust. Yeah. Um, tell me about tell me about the heady days of it being so great and everything, and then we'll talk about the bad stuff. Well, so so I you know we'll go back to this pattern again of these amazing rushes I've had of new experiences, and so you know again, Mitchell Ross and Khan on a mission to create something that didn't exist. I arrive um, about, you know, eight years later and get to art.com in 1998, and we're there to change the art industry and sell stuff online, again on a mission to do something that didn't exist before. And um, euphoric, energetic, again, put in a massive number of hours on behalf of building that business and effort. And we had a two-year run when we were getting funding and it was all in the up and up. And you just said, oh my goodness, this is not only going to be a major success, we're going to change the marketplace, <laughs> but I'm also going to retire and be living in Aspen in like three years. What was the atmosphere too? Because it wasn't just you. All around you, people were were going through these incredible days where everything yeah. felt like it was going to be amazing. A lot of people had dreams of retiring totally. in two years. Yeah, it, 
was totally a heady time period. There's no, there's no way to describe it. It was like there was a cultural and business revolution going on. You were part of it, and you were inevitably trying to change your category, and you were meeting all kinds of people trying to change others as well. So an amazing rush, um, and uh, again, an all-in experience. And then 2000 and 2001 come. There is a really marketplace crash um, and all of a sudden, these investments that went into building these digital businesses were all in question, and everyone started shutting things down, including art.com. Did you have an inkling that things were, did you ever feel like this is too good to be true? You could see it happening. You could see it, and it was starting to play out in the press, and then all of these business models that were based on building traffic but had no revenue streams were all coming into question, and it's like the overinvestment, now there was no return on that overinvestment, and reality was setting in. And it was um, it was like Michener, Ross, and Khan. I've been here before. I've been here before, and it was really hard, and it was really emotional. And I would say during the web um, bust, I was going around like, why did I ever get into digital? Why did I get online? The biggest mistake I could have made, and now what am I going to do? I hope you're enjoying the podcast. After this break, MK will talk about how he leads today and the professional versus personal struggles when you're the captain of the ship. But right now, a quick break to tell you about Digiday Plus. Digiday Plus is our premium membership product. Join our community to get a firsthand look at how digital is transforming the world of media. You'll get Digiday Magazine, exclusive research, and invites to exclusive member-only events. And it's only $3.95 a year. Please sign up at Digiday.com. And for you, our podcast listener, we have a discount offer. To get 25% off your subscription, enter the code starting out at checkout. Now back to the episode. Are you an optimist? Do you usually see the better things that were going to happen? Do you, or did you kind of think, did you ever think about quitting? I shouldn't have gone to digital. Can I just quit? Can I just do something else? So um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Broadcast News. And in it, there's a great character, which is Holly Hunter. And she's this mercurial, all on person that is uh, uh, managing a news network. And during the day, relentless, focused, incredible, and goes back to her hotel at night and breaks down crying. There was a certain part of me that um, I'm all in and I am an optimist. Do I go home at night like anyone else and going, oh my God, this is so not going to go well? Or, oh my gosh, I think I just made the worst decision of my life. Um, all those things happen for me when I get to the privacy of my own home. And from 2001 to 2005, I bounced around to a bunch of other startups, still in the faith of that the web and digital was going to change everything, but there was no proof of concept during that time period. So I must have been optimistic enough and had faith in it, but that wasn't my experience in what was happening. Did you, you'd been through it before and that helps. You totally do you remember kind of thinking, okay, I've been through bad stuff, I've been through maybe worse, maybe this is a little worse, but were there lessons from what had happened in Chicago that kind of stayed with you with what was happening with the with this kind of crash? Yeah, so, um, I guess the answer back would be is I did develop a perseverance muscle and I was able to, you know, um, tolerate a huge amount of change be able to set direction and work with a blank sheet of paper when there was no direction in place. And as much as anything, bounce back again and again and again. And I think one thing in my own work life and career, whether the circumstances were perfect 
or they were really hard, I put in the same level of effort every time and everywhere. So um, more than I knew at the time, I was kind of consistent and persistent, even though there was madness around me. And I, um, it, it isn't uh, anything that I take credit for in some kind of like I should earn a medal for it. I just think I, I had and developed this ability to flex and bounce back again and again and again. And then when I finally landed in a better circumstance with a better opportunity, it's like all of it came together to lead to some exceptional results. When I walk in the door of the office and I come in the midst of the people I work with, I'm there to be totally a glass half full person on their behalf, to be the best teammate I can to them, to and, and to be... Um, the best guide for the way we want to think about things and operate. So in my um, personal space, I may um, have questions and stuff, but I think when it comes to the confines of the work environment and the playing field, my job is to be someone totally different. And is that important it. for a leader? That's important for a leader. Because that, you mentioned this early on where you had to walk in the office and you have to be the inspirer in chief you You have to do it you you have to and i think you have to have the mindset of it's gonna rain you're gonna be surfing there's gonna come waves but you have to stay on the board no matter what stay on the board the whole time ride the next wave and keep on going and somehow for the people around you give them a model that it's doable it's sustainable and that you can do it with grace so we're recording this as you're on day 130 of your job it's funny because like the first hundred days, you know, especially when, yeah. when it comes to presidents, at least of countries, we usually right. count them that they're yeah. important. They're important with what you do the first hundred days, especially when you're leading something. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you spent your first hundred days. I start out very much by um, getting connected to our team. And over the first 90 days, I visited every office within our network around the world. I went to all of our offices throughout the U.S. and New York and Boston and Atlanta and Detroit and Chicago and San Francisco. I went to India. I went to Costa Rica. I went to London. I just got back from APAC. I put myself out there and met with all the teams. I met with the leaders in those offices. I did town halls with the full teams. And I also did one-on-ones with everyone along the way. So I thought a starting point was really critical was get to know the culture of the place and understand the caliber of the folks that work there. What surprised you when you were going to, you were going to places that you hadn't necessarily been before that actually hear that you were the first sort of, um, the first person in leadership to be in the Costa Rica office after many years. Right. Uh, What was, what surprised you? Um, I didn't know that our symbol is a unicorn, that people were so passionate about the unicorn. When I came on board, I said, what the hell is a unicorn here for? And I actually had the audacity to think about killing it. And if you I- You can't kill a unicorn. If I, I can't ever. kill a unicorn. And if I killed the unicorn, like I, would have, I would have been killed. So one of the experiences I had that was just a way to connect with people instantly is I walked into our Atlanta office. We've got about 70 people in Atlanta. And I realized I had about two minutes to have them at hello. And when I walked into the lobby of this really cool office, again, going back to our symbol being the unicorn, there was a pillow on a couch and the pillow said, I'm a fucking unicorn. And so I walked in getting ready for my town hall and I grabbed that pillow and I walked around the corner and said, hi, I'm MK. I'm a fucking unicorn. And instantly, I connected with the entire office because swearing works every single time. Makes you accessible, makes you human. And that was like one of those moments where I looked over and go, that's putting yourself out there. 
That's MK, Global Brand President at Digitas. And that's a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you like our show, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. While you're there, please rate us and leave us a five-star review. I'm Shreen Batek. We'll see you next week.